0: I did want to say this morning that uh, after uh, the service this morning, i probably will not be at the door because uh, I have a funeral at 2 o'clock, about an hour and a half away. So uh, I'm going to be heading out uh, immediately after the service and heading back to uh, to do that service for my neighbor uh, at 2 o'clock back in Medina. I don't know if you heard the story about the little boy, Billy, and his grandpa that every year went to their cottage out by the lake. And uh, they would spend a few days together and they would fish and have a great time. But the grandpa reminded Billy now when we go back to the camp this evening and it's dark, we will go into camp before we turn any lights on so the mosquitoes don't come in. Well, they got back to the camp and opened the door and as they went in, they didn't think any mosquitoes came in, but some uh, uh, lightning bugs got in. And as they got inside and they ate a little bit and then laid down, turned all the lights out and went to bed, Billy whispered over to his grandpa and said, Grandpa, it don't work. The mosquitoes has got flashlights. <laughs> Kids, they always had the answer. I just uh, thank the Lord for children to love them uh, to death, and uh, I just you know I thought about, it as I watched the children this morning uh, come up and get the Kleenex and come up and get the Kleenex, and I thought, you know, I wish adults would sense the same thing that children do. If your nose is running, you go get a Kleenex. If you have a need, you go to the altar. Just feel the freedom to do that. And it would be wonderful if we could all uh, react as children do. That's why Jesus said, except we come like little children. And so it's important. This morning I want to share with you from the 16th chapter of the book of Luke. I want to talk about who is the Lazarus in your life. It's a story about Lazarus and the rich man. Verse number 19, let me begin there. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, where he was tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham afar off with Lazarus by his side. And so he called unto him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember... That in your lifetime, you received the good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted, and here you are in agony. And besides all of this, between you, between us and you, great chasm has been fixed. So what those that would come from here, to you cannot. nor can anyone cross over from here to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus that he may go to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let them be warned so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said unto them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The beggar. I thought about that beggar. You know, we all have Lazarus in our lives. I'm going to do a funeral for my Lazarus today. I thought about the judge that was in New York City that that had been walking down the street from his office when he was mugged. And the, the thuds beat him up. And when they found out about it, the next morning he said, I'm going to have a press conference because I want people to know that even though I was mugged, and even though I was beaten up, this will never interfere with me being on the bench when someone comes before me that has done this. And there was an older woman in the back, raised up with red in her face, and said, mug him again! You know what she was saying? She was saying, we ought to be concerned about those that do these kind of things. And so I thought about that. You know, we need to realize that all of us have those Lazarus, those people that come into our lives that we need to deal with and help along the way. The father kneeling beside the bed with his grandson or his son it was, and, and the little boy had prayed every night like most little children do when you teach them to pray. I don't know why, but we all have the same prayer at lunch and we all have the same prayer at night. As he was knelt down to the bed, he had prayed it many, many times. The little boy began to pray. As he prayed as many, many times before, he said, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. I had prayed that for years. But this night when he got down to pray, he got mixed up. This time he got mixed up and he said, If I should wake before I die. And he realized it and he said, Oh, Papa, Papa, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. And his dad said, No, son, you didn't make a mistake. That is the prayer that I have for you, that you would awake before you die. You see, we all need to be awakened from time to time. I want to talk about that for a few moments this morning, about waking up before we die. You know, some people are asleep in many, many critical areas of their lives. They're asleep in the the things that are vitally important to them. You know, psychologists talk about the mindset. They call it habituation. Now, that's a big word. It's a large word. But you know what's a good word for all of us to learn? We've all heard the story of the frog that was dumped into a uh, that was put into a pot of hot water and immediately jumps out. But if you put that pot, that same frog in a pan and turn on the stove as it's swimming and enjoying itself in that water, it'll swim and swim and swim until the water boils and it actually boils to death. That's habituation that's becoming so used to something in our lives that we no longer realize, that we no longer see it. And our world is filled with it. We have people all around us that have that. And I thought about that that word, you know. Scientists have also measured in life the the effects of habituation in a laboratory. And they use the illustration, and and all of us, if we think about it, their example was they would take a sharp noise, a very pierced noise, And the first time, for five seconds, they would do that every five seconds. And they noticed something. They they measured with instruments our consciousness of it. The first time you hear that real sharp sound, you jump. You're alert. And the next time you hear it, you don't jump quite as much. And the next time, you don't hardly jump at all. And after a while, it just becomes a part of it. You ever get in a place where people was? Well, I thought about I had a man that, that worked in the water department in one of the churches where I, I pastored. And and I would go see him every once in a while. He worked a night shift, and it was nice and warm in the water department. And he took real good care of his car. And so he'd say, well, pastor, come on down and visit. Now, we'll clean up your car. So it was in the middle of the winter, nice warm place to go in, lots of free water. I mean, it was at the water company. But we were inside where all these these. Machines were using to purify this water. I mean, the sound was terrible. But I noticed that there was a little dog there. I said, Bill, how does this dog stand that? How could it stand that? And he said, well, when it first came, it wasn't real happy with it. But we kept feeding it, and the food was more important than the sound. You know what happened? That animal became habituated. It got so used to that sound that it never bothered. It It just stayed there. It enjoyed its time. It enjoyed the fellowship of those men that were working there. And it was a companion for them because it was a one-man job. They only stayed one man at those meters all night long. You see, sometimes we can be habituated. If you ask you to close your eyes this morning in this sanctuary, those of you that have been attending here, it's amazing. You have become so habituated to this place that if I told you to close your eyes and describe it to me, describe you wouldn't do very well. Because you see, somebody that comes in new like we have, the first thing I noticed was you had still had a pulpit. Most churches anymore don't have them. I'm thankful for it. Okay, but... But you know what? You've been used to it. You, you probably wouldn't pay any attention to that. I looked at the lights. I looked at the, the way the platform was set up. You see, because I hadn't been here. But those who come all the time, if you were to close your eyes and, and I'd say to you, describe to me this place, most of you couldn't do it. You know why? Because we just simply become habituated by that. We become accustomed to the place that we no longer really realize what's there. You know, the same thing happens. Habituation is not just in something you knew. They just survey and realized that there's a police department that had a problem in a town, that, that, uh, that, that there was a midnight train that ran every night. And the people that lived in that town near those tracks got so used to hearing that whistle blow and hearing that noise at midnight every night. When they stopped the run after two years later, the police would still get calls about midnight. Most of them would call and say, I think there's a burglar. I think there's somebody trying to get into our house. I think there's somebody that's trying to do... You know why? Because they were habituated to that sound, and that sound no longer was there. And so in their minds, they begin to think it was something else. You see, that's the way life works in our lives. That I thought about that. Habituation, going to so accustomed to it that sometimes we no longer realize it's there. Now let me get to, to to the 16th chapter. You see, the rich man, the Bible says, he dressed in purple, which was the most expensive. Today we would say he dressed in a tuxedo and a bow tie. But you know, he lived in fine, and he lived as a rich man would live. And he had all the blessings of life. But there was a man that laid at his gate every day. Every day he was there. The rich man was there. He dressed in purple and fine linen, lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was this beggar, Lazarus, covered with sores, starving, desiring just to have the crumbs that fell from the table. And the Bible says that the dogs came even because of him being so sick and now nourished and probably when laying there were bugs had beaten and eaten on him until he got sores on his body. And even the dogs came and licked his sores. Lazarus was at that gate. In Jesus' story, note the contrast between the two people. Jesus talked about the rich man in purple Fine linen, luxury. The beggar was talked about as having sores and no longer desiring the grums. and, And the dogs came to lick him. But Jesus wanted us to see in our mind's eye the difference between two individuals. These individuals, my friend, the rich man lived in splendor while Lazarus lived in poverty. Now let me ask you the question. Do you think that Lazarus, laying at the rich man's gate, that the rich man... Ever noticed that he was there? I believe he did. I believe the first week, the first few days, the first few times, and, and evidently he knew that that was the best place to lay. But I want to tell you something. The Bible said he was there daily. And so after a long period of time, I believe that the rich man kind of got habituated to that. He kind of didn't pay any attention. He just, he just walked and looked the other way. He wasn't concerned about it at all. You see, that's what Jesus was trying to do. Of course, you know he, he was there. Become used to Lazarus' presence and made less and less impression upon him. And soon, Lazarus wasn't even given any concern. Can it happen to people? It happened to that rich man. Can it happen to you and I? Yeah, you bet it can. It can even happen to you and me in places where we live. You know something there are beggars on every corner in Akron Ohio and they have their spot they have their place they know where the cars they they know the time of the, how much time it takes on a light now, y'all have one down here on 39. I see him every every time I come to town almost. He stands there coming off the interstate right there at the light. He knows the time of the light. He ain't going to go somewhere where there's just a stop sign because you're going to move too quick. But if you sit there long enough, there's going to be some new people that's going to pull out a quarter and give to him. But the people that are used to him being there, well, it's, it doesn't bother them at all. He's been there. You know what happens. It, you know, it happens in the stores where we shop. It happens in our neighborhood with all of us. You see, you and I need to know that we are the rich man in this story. We are not Lazarus. We are the rich man in this story. When you think about it, most of us are. We really are. We have far more in common with the rich man than we do with Lazarus. And the reason I say that is because we live in, in fine homes. I mean, every home, everybody's idea of what a fine home is is different. But, you know, we all live in a home. We all have a house that, that has a roof on it. We have a, a place where we can bed at night, where we can eat our food. You see, we have luxuries, whether we want to call them luxuries or not. I can look down from this pulpit on Sunday morning and I see people dressed in purple and fine linen. You say, well, how in the world do you see that? I tell you why. Because you look around the world and you see people that don't have anything that you and I have. You see, what what we see today, I look down and I see these people. Maybe you would not describe yourselves as luxurious, but you really are. People in other countries, we've noticed uh, uh, th- this problem with this in in uh, over there in the foreign countries, and they show these people these little children that have nothing, no clothes, they have no shoes, they have nothing to cover themselves with. And you stop and think about what we have. You see, we're living in luxury compared to them. Maybe you can describe your place as not so luxurious, but but you know what? When you look at other people. When we walk into, you know, you know, there would be people in that third world country that would think they died and went to heaven if they went to one of the buffet bars that we have in our restaurants or, or salad bars. They would uh, think they died and went to heaven if they were able to walk down the corridors of Walmart or, or go over here to even to, to Bob Evans is a great restaurant, you know. And, and you know, they could go in there and see that menu and, and you know, y'all put them pretty pictures on it that maybe really get excited about it. But you know, they'd never seen anything like that. And so we are the rich people of this world. We have all the desires. We walk through. Let me tell you something. You, leave, you live in a house that has warmth and water. And we should not forget many of the things that we take for granted. I thought about that. You know, our ancestors didn't have any ways near what we have. And I kind of went crazy on this thing the, last week. I, I begin to think about all the things we have as luxuries today. You probably wouldn't think is a luxury. But I'm going to tell you something. I passed a guy on the freeway... And one of them plastic bumpers was dragging down the floor. this flopping. And he just pulled off to the side of the road. Let me tell you something. I got in the trunk of my car and I got a roll of duct tape. Duct tape helped that man to keep his bumper from flopping. You see, our ancestors didn't have all those conveniences. You know, I begin to think they didn't have DVDs. They didn't have CDs. They didn't have super glue. They didn't have duct tape. They didn't have Velcro. They didn't have televisions or computers. They didn't have telephones, iPhones, iPads, air conditioning, airplanes, and the list could go on and on. And you don't think we're luxurious people? Absolutely we are. We have things that others had never dreamed about having. After all, we are the rich men in the story. We have our health, most of us at least. Most of us have our health. I mean, we have better health than a lot of people do. Notice Lazarus couldn't even walk. The Bible says they carried him. They, he had to have some friends that would carry him, that would have pity on him, that would have mercy on him, and they carried him and laid him at the gate of the rich man, because he knew that the rich men were going to have wealthy people. He was going to have people that, was, that had a little bit that they could share that would go in and out of that gate. That's why he chose that spot. You see, and when we have people who love us, think about that. I thought about We have our family. We have our friends. And you talk about friends. I mean, my family is wonderful, but the friends... My wife's going through some real tough times here, right? And and in and out of the hospital, and and the cards that comes, and the calls that come, and all of these things come from friends, people that love us, people who care about us, people who want to pray for us. Oh, we're a luxurious people. We are a people that, my friend, that God has blessed. And and we have people and friends who love us. Most of us have good education. Most of us have... We are kind of attractive people, at least, uh, you know, some more than others. But, uh, you know, we're all attractive. We we all have something to offer. Certainly, the dogs don't come and lick us. Uh, if you got a dog that really loves you he'll lick you, lick your face off. I mean, my wife had one that she every time you turned around, she sit down and that dog would be licking on her, you know, because he loved her. He showed her that he loved her. You see, but Lazarus had it for a different reason. You see, we have more in common with the rich man than we do Lazarus. And so Jesus confronts us with the question, Who is the Lazarus at your gate? Who is it that has number one claim on your attention? Who do you think about when you walk in and out of your house? The text is not about wealth. It's not about poverty. This Scripture, my friend, is about sensitivity to those around us. I will do a service this afternoon for a man 90 years old. And the only reason why that I have that service today is because he was the Lazarus in my neighborhood. He was the man that I became sensitive to and my wife became sensitive to. And we've got one on the other side of us, another lady, that they became our Lazarus. They had a need and we were there to try to help them. And through the helping of Bill, today he's in the presence of God because of our help. Let me tell you something. I believe that when we look around and see that it's not always financial. People need love. They need to know that we care about them. They need to have recognition. They need to be encouraged. You know what? There's a lot of people today that are so discouraged in life because nobody pays attention to them anymore. You can walk in and walk by and, and wherever you are, nobody, nobody takes any note of who you are or what you are. You see, we need to realize today that there are Lazarus all around us. They need, a, they need a role model. They need somebody that they can look at and count on and trust in and believe in and, and know that they're going to be for. Them. They need a friend. They need relationship with Christ. And you have many needs that go unnoticed today if you don't look in the right direction so, you see, you have to look in the right direction. Who is the Lazarus that you're gay? Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody that you work with in, in the plant or in the place where you work or the store that you work in or the restaurant you're working in. Maybe they come to work and you see they're discouraged and depressed and they need somebody to give them a word of hope, a word of encouragement. You see, sometimes that becomes your Lazarus. It may be a family member, it may be somebody in your own family that, that you see that always seems to be set back. Everybody else gets the attention. This person set back. Sometimes God needs to speak to your heart that help them to come out and bring themselves out to be somebody that's important. Sometimes it needs to be some of our youth right here in the church. You know, growing up is tough. If you you know, some of you have forgotten it. <laughs> it's easy. We got a good forgetfulness in our lives sometimes, in some areas that we ought not to forget. You see, it's hard for them. Sometimes, who's the Lazarus? It may be a neighbor, such as ours was. It's never easy, my friend, to go through life with difficulties and heartaches and sickness and pain. And, and, you know, it's hard to go through that. Sometimes we need someone that will help them along the way. Somebody that's going through a, 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 a disease, something that's going through. A Bill, this, this fellow I'm talking about, you know, he came down about a, about a year ago with some cancer. And this thing has been working on him and working on him. And he's been in and out of the hospital. And, and we try to keep track of him try to help him along. But you know what? I found out that the closer I got with him, the more I could talk to him, the more he was open to me. And you know, something I begin to realize, you know, this boy is uh, he had, he and I had more in common than we ever dreamed about. He'd tell me about these cowboy boots that he had and Dan Post boots and, I mean, they were beautiful shiny boots. And I said, Bill, you know what? Over in my closet, I haven't given them up yet. I can't wear them anymore because I broke my ankle. Can't get them off and on. I'd have to sleep in them. So okay. I said, I've got them Post boots too. He'd talk about that ten gallon hat head. I said, I he got one of them. I don't wear it very often, but I got one in the closet. We begin to talk about all these things we have in common, and pretty soon he began to open up. He came out of the state of Tennessee. He came he was born and raised in Greenville, Tennessee. In Greenville, Tennessee, we've got four or five churches, large church of gods. We got a beautiful big camp meeting there. And you know something, we begin to talk about that. And, and you know what he began to say? He said, you know what, preacher? He said, you know that Church of God campground over there? My parents and my grandparents, and they took me there. He said, they were a bunch of holy rollers. I said, that's right, that's us. You know, he come to realize that we had ca- in common way back there, nobody knew that he had Church of God background. But the more that we talked, the more that he opened and the more that he began to want, and, and, and finally come to the place where I was able to say, Bill, you know, you can believe and you can know all of this, but you've got to accept Him in your heart. And he did. And you know what? When he gave his heart to the Lord, he began to invite my prayers. And and, and sometimes the workers at work all night knock on my door early in the morning, have me go over, Bill. I think Bill needs your help. He, he's not communicating real well. You know, something about him, when I'd walk into that room and I'd take him by the hand and I'd say, hey buddy, how are we doing today? He'd perk right up. He'd hiss in my voice and, and we'd talk and we'd pray. And You know, one day, I believe this miracle happened because God wanted to show His family there's power in prayer. Bill had come to Christian, and Bill was trusting the Lord. He has a wife that's over there in heaven waiting on him, and he's excited about getting there. But you know what? He laid there in that chair, and he said, My feet, I can't get out of the chair. I can't go to the bathroom. Them things will explode if I stand on them. They are stretched so big and so heavy. I said, What do you need today? He said, I need my feet. Would you pray for them? I'm going to tell you something. I prayed for his feet. I'm telling you, that very day, his daughter and a nurse worker stood there and watched him feet go down. I mean, the worker caught me on the sidewalk and said, "I can't believe." She said, "We watched this preacher. He wasn't gone fifteen minutes until them feet started going down." And when I got to the house, and my wife could verify, we said, "Now, Bill, how you doing?" He said, "A miracle." "What? What do you mean a miracle?" "I got a miracle." He uncovered them feet, and I'm telling you, those feet were just shrunk down to normal size. God performed that miracle so that that family would know there's power in prayer. And I'm going to tell you something, there's nobody's going to convince them otherwise now. That's probably why they called me to to do the funeral, I don't know. Of course, he and I had that worked out. But you know what, I, I thought about that. You know, sometimes we just need to give a word of encouragement. Young people need to be encouraged. Kind of reminds me, you know, uh, those of you that go south, you know, Florida and down in Carolinas in the wintertime. You know, y'all go down there don't have nothing to do but go to them restaurants. I've gone on vacation. I go down to restaurants and, and, you know, I, all these folks in my church down there, these, these fellows go down there on the winter. And you know what they say? We're all going to get together over here at this restaurant and we'll go over there at that restaurant and we'll spend four or five hours together. Well, you know, there was a sitting at restaurant one day and a, a bunch of them talking about it. And, and one fellow stood up, stood up and said, he said, you know what I'd like? He said, I just wish, I know it's not possible, but I just wish that I could be 18 years old and know what I know now. And there was a little girl, 18 years old, cleaning the table next to him. She walked over and she said, I'm 18, what do I need to know? <laughs> you know what? Sometimes that's what they need. They need to know how we got where we are. They need that encouragement. They need us to to listen to them without being judgmental. You know, I find through the years in ministry, there's a lot of people that people judge. But I tell you, the best thing you can do is visit those people. Go where they are. Sit where they sit. Walk where they walk, and you'll appreciate those people a whole lot different. All of us, my friend, have difficulties in life that we go through, and we need to understand one another. We need to be able to love one another in spite of who they are or what they are. You know what? It shouldn't make any difference. I'm going to tell you something. We need real communication in our lives. Who is the Lazarus at your gate? Well, you know how the rest of the story ended. You know how that Lazarus that says both Lazarus and the rich man died and the Lazarus went to heaven, was sitting uh, uh, right there with Abraham enjoying the pleasures of all that God had promised him. And there was the rich man. Now a lot of people don't want to talk about it, but the, my Bible tells me that, that the rich man went to hell. Hell's real, my friend. In fact, it talked about the fact that he said, I am tormented in these flames. Brother, you think it gets hot? You haven't seen heat until you see and hear what takes place in hell. He was in hell, in torment, in these flames. And he's dried up and he's saying, I want to get out of this place. And he said, "It's no way. There's a gulf that has been fixed. You had your opportunity to make that decision. You decided not to. And so you've gone to the place where you're going to spend eternity. He said, then listen, listen, could you, could you send Lazarus? Could he just have him come and dip the tip of his finger and place it on my tongue? I'm tormented. I'm tormented. And he said, there's no way. It can't happen. And you know what the amazing thing is? That rich man, became the number one evangelist in the world. Because you know what he said next? He said, I've got five brethren at home. Send Lazarus to them and have him warn them. You know, i got my own interpretation of that. You know why he had concern for those five brothers? Because the very riches and the very things he was involved in, they inherited and he knew that they probably would go the same route he did. And so he saying to them, go to them and warn them and tell them that wealth and gain and all these things, the purple and fine linens, is nothing. We need to have an experience with God. You see, the Lazarus, there are people all around you that need Christ. There's people all around you today, my friend." But notice what he says. If, if, they, if Abraham said, if they listened to Moses and the prophets, that he said they won't be, they won't be, one scripture says, they won't be persuaded. But you know, I like the newer one, it says, they won't be convinced. You ever stop to think about what he was saying? Convinced of what? What would they be convinced of? Caring for the needy? Will they be convinced of living a righteous life, a holy life? Having faith in Christ? Jesus doesn't say, but maybe He was trying to get them to be convinced that they needed to wake up before they died. They need to be like that little boy that prayed. That they need to be awakened before they die. Let me tell you something. Every one of us sitting here this morning, as sure as you're alive, you're going to die. You're going to die in this life. So you need to be awakened in this life to the spiritual life that's going to come next. The Bible says He's prepared a place for us. A place for those that have come to know Him. Let me tell you something, there's a place for all of us. Maybe Christ is warning you as well. There's someone that needs your attention today. I don't know who it is. There's someone that needs your attention today. There's someone it may be in your household that needs to know about the love of Christ. That needs to see how it worked in your life, in my life, how it works in the church. Maybe it's someone, my friend, in your neighborhood like mine was. My wife's been able to witness to some of the ladies on our street. We got two of them there, Nancy and Elaine. Well, yesterday we walked up the street to tell Nancy about Bill's passing. And she told about the fall that she had. And for the first time I heard Nancy say, I'll pray for you. Prior to that, Nancy never talked about prayer. She wasn't interested in prayer. But you see, living an example before them and talking about prayer and praying for them, and we prayed for her. And the little lady on down the street up in years, very educated, very wealthy, older lady. But you know what? She's come to know us and love us. We went to tell her about Bill's passing and she said, come on in, come on in. And you come on in and sat down. And when we went to leave, she said, you have to go that soon? I mean, we lived there for years when she wouldn't even talk to us. You see... There are people around us that need to know that we love them without being judgmental. Letting them know that Christ loves them. They need to wake up, my friend. It may be someone seated right next to you day after day after day, and you just haven't taken the time and the energy to be able to open your mouth and say to them, I I want you to know I love you. I want you to know that Jesus loves you. I want you to know that really in your heart you're saying, I want you to wake up before you die. You know, if I could take everybody to heaven, it would be wonderful. But you know what? I don't have that privilege and I don't have that responsibility. In fact, no preacher does. If you go to heaven or you go to hell, it's your choice this morning. It's your choice. You make those choices. Nobody else does. Who's the Lazarus at your gate? What will it take to get your attention? Will it take a loss of life? Will it take a loss of material things? Will it take a loss of health? Who knows? And I'm going to tell you what. In every one of our lives, there is a Lazarus at our gate. I don't know who it is. And it could be a mate. It could be a husband, it could be a wife, it could be a child, a grandchild, it could be, it could be a neighbor, it could, we don't know. All we know is, is that if we're at alert and we're aware and we're looking and we're seeking, God will lead us to the people that needs to know Him. And we need to take that responsibility serious. I'm here to tell you this morning that there's only one reason why, that we come to church and that is to fellowship and encourage one another and get fueled up so that we can go out here this next week and look for people that God places in our path that we can give a word of encouragement to. I don't think I don't think the nurses on four North in Medina Hospital would have ever hoped that my wife would get well because they all came for. Encouragement from her. She was sick. She was encouraging them. They're all coming by. They're all they, they gather around the room on night shift and say, Man, this is the greatest room. And we, we just love being here. Why? Because you know what? Encouragement. They need to know. We're trusting them. God's blessed them. And God's blessing them by blessing me. See, there a Lazarus at our gate. Who's the Lazarus at your gate? Who's the burden that you carry for? What's the need that you can fulfill? God is able to meet that need right here this morning. If you'll be honest enough to say, Lord, show me. Show me who's in need that I can help, that I can be a blessing to. Let's stand. Father, this morning, you know the hearts and the lives of the folks that sit in this place today. Lord, we've been blessed. We look around and we see all the things that we have that you've blessed us with. Health and strength and food and clothing and houses and material things. And yet, Lord, we sometimes overlook those that are less fortunate than us that needs our help. Father, help us to reach out to them today. Help us to make them realize that they are just as important as anybody else and that God loves them. More importantly, that we love them. Father, we pray for every person here today. If they are here and have that need, and Lord, want to know who their Lazarus is, Lord, let them come and ask, Lord, to lay that soul upon their heart today. And Father, we're going to give you the thanks for all the good things that happen. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. What shall we say? Turn to page number four.